Amen. Amen. Hey, before you grab a seat, let's do this. We got some people waiting to come in in the back. So uh, since a lot of us, this is kind of our first time back in a while, will you, let's just say hi to the people around us one more time, and we'll give some people as they're coming in a chance to find a seat. So it's really for them, but go ahead and just be friendly one more time to the people around you. If you're in the back, this is your chance. You better make a move. Come on in, grab a seat, do your thing. Otherwise... Go ahead and be friendly one more time. One more time. That's right, that's right. Good, good, good. All right, now you can be seated. Thank y'all. Some of y'all are really taking advantage of this extended greeting time. Good. It is good to see all of you here at the Grove. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Stephen, and I'm one of the pastors here. And if this is your first time with us, Boy, you picked a good Sunday to be here. We got something special in store, and so I'm going to try to get to it as quickly as possible. We've kind of adjusted our service this morning to maximize the time uh, that we get with Suzanne. Now, we have been in the middle of a sermon series called Just My Type, and what we've been talking about over the last couple weeks is really trying to understand ourselves better, kind of recognizing that we've all been created in a particular sort of way by God, not on accident, but on purpose. And really, the more that we can understand how God has created us to be, it helps us understand how God has created others to be, which helps us accomplish the ultimate goal is loving other people better, loving people like God loves us. And so that's really been the goal of this series. And so two weeks ago, we introduced this concept of personality and unique kind of um, creation that we've all been made in. And then last week, Allie did this kind of overview of a, a tool called the Enneagram. And she laid out the nine personality or the nine Enneagram types. And so if you missed that and you've never heard of the Enneagram before, uh, you're going to need to play a little bit of catch up this morning. But if you've had kind of some awareness of what the Enneagram is, hopefully this will kind of continue the conversation. But ultimately, what we want here is for this to kind of prompt your own work, your own discovery, your own kind of processing of uh, this idea of how God has created you, understanding yourself better, understanding others better, and then kind of enhancing the quality of our relationships with the people around us. So that's kind of what we've been doing. That's why Suzanne is here this morning. Suzanne is a dear friend of mine. She, uh, this is not hyperbole. This is not like pastor speak. She is an Enneagram master. She is a best-selling author, and she is an expert in the Enneagram. Uh, and so I'm so glad that you're with us this morning, Suzanne. Why don't we give Suzanne a hand clap and invite her up? Keep clapping, I'm slow. <laughs> Thank you. It's less awkward, you know, if you're clapping and I'm... I know. Yeah, I, know. I got a bad back, so I can't do, too, I can't do this. Good. That's it's okay. not good, it's terrible. Well, it's embarrassing. It, it looked pretty good. It's kind of like, like a... Oh, you're like, trying to make it You're pretty sexy. cool. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, I didn't want to use that word because I know we're live streaming this morning, and so your husband might be watching... But Joe, uh, thanks for being patient with us this morning. He actually is working with me on all the places I say sexy. <laughs> I believe that. I believe that. I you know, believe I've that. created for a lot of things, but being a pastor's wife was kind of on the edge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting job, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Well, listen, we're, uh, we're glad you're with us today. And uh, I'm going to try to avoid the kind of the standard questions that you've been asked about the Enneagram because I did a quick scan a couple days ago, like on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You have hundreds of interviews you've done. A lot of them have been introductory, uh, not at your fault, but in just giving an overview of the Enneagram. So if that's what you're here for this morning, you're going to have to go and find that on your own. That's not ultimately what we're going to try to do. Would you just give us in a description or two um, why you think the Enneagram is maybe one of the better tools out there to understand yourself better and understand others better? Sure. Um, the Enneagram is probably fourth. Wow. I know. I didn't Hi, know how to set up the chairs. I, some of you who decorate for a living, you're like, why did he do it that way? I don't know. I'm a guy. I'm, like, I don't know. Okay. Well, as soon as I get to where I can see people, I'll answer your you questions. You just make it yours. Hi, y'all. This is what you get to do when you're 70. You get to do whatever you want to do. <laughs> Once you get up here, then it's yours. Um, so, um, I grew up in a community of 5,000 people in the Panhandle. I'm from Floyd Ada, Texas. And I don't know why that community 
but I grew up in a community where people had a lot of space for one another. And I grew up in a family where criticism was rare, encouragement was usually in plenty, not just for our family, but for everybody that my parents encountered. My dad built the first hospital in Floydata in 1931 and practiced medicine there for the next 57 years. So he delivered most of the people that I grew up with and their parents, and um, he was well-loved. And so when I came to SMU at 18 and found out that everybody didn't have that kind of space for everybody else, it was really shocking for me. So I began at 18 to think maybe my, my work was to find a way to increase compassion in whatever community I was in. And then my communities got bigger and bigger and my desire to have a way to increase compassion grew. And then Father Richard Rohr uh, was mine and Joe's, my husband's spiritual director for about 12 years and he introduced me to the Enneagram, which is... 4,000 years old, it's been in every faith belief uh, on the planet in one form or another, and it's essentially nine ways of seeing. And it is uh, a process of understanding, and it's process, that other people don't actually see what you see. So when Stephen asks everybody to greet each other one more time, there are two numbers on the Enneagram who didn't want to greet anybody the first time. And they for sure didn't want to do it again. It's like I already did that and I don't like it. But there are other people who thought, oh, I'm so glad because I didn't get to see that person and now I have time. So then the question for Stephen is, how are you going to do ministry when some people don't want to greet anybody and other people want to greet everybody, right? And that's because they're put together in one of these nine ways. So I've taught literally hundreds of thousands of people and maybe... 50 people just couldn't get it, and it's because they didn't want to, and that's okay, too. So if we're going to increase compassion and work on ourselves at the same time, then Myers-Briggs is great, and the DISC is great, and whatever y'all use is great. Like, I don't know what the conference uses anymore, but it's great enough. Uh, But what I do know is that for the Texas Methodist Foundation, I'm teaching all the district superintendents from the whole country in November. And what I'm going to say is, if y'all don't get compassion on board and make room for people who don't think like you do, then we're in more trouble than we think we're in, right? And so, um, Father Roar introduced me to the Enneagram. The Enneagram taught me there were nine ways of seeing. But, you know, I'm an ENFJ on Myers-Briggs, and that's very helpful, but I don't know what to do with it. I don't know anybody who's more spiritual than my husband who are, or who prays more, probably, that's not cloistered, and he's prayed and prayed for me to not be an extrovert, but it's not working. So, <laughs> nope. you know, I can't change any of that, right? Right. I can change what I do with understanding that I'm an Enneagram 2 And the key to the whole thing is that the best part of you is also the worst part of you. And if you can't manage that, then you can't actually grow spiritually very much. And once you learn to manage that, then a spiritual journey becomes a whole new way of being in relationship to God and being in relationship to other people and being in relationship with yourself. So... Um, I think coming out of COVID, we got a lot to deal with and we're short on patience and long on expectation. And if we don't have something to rely on besides it being a good day after a good night's sleep and a good morning prayer time and everything in your family's great and you have a job that you love. You know, if you have to get up without some of that, then the first person you have to have compassion for is yourself. And then after that, maybe you'll have enough room to be compassionate toward other people. And I don't know anything that teaches compassion like the Enneagram does because it insists that there are nine ways of seeing. 
Uh, as a two, the best part of me is that I'm a giver. And as a two, the worst part of me is that I'm a giver. And so I can manipulate the socks off of you with giving. <laughs> but I'm not sure that's how God intended me to use that way of seeing. And any time I'm overgiving, that means I'm saying yes to people I don't know and no to the people that I love the most. We have four children and four daughter-in-laws and son-in-laws, and they all live here, and we have nine grandchildren. So I have 18 people I have to say no to if I'm going to say yes to other things. So discernment is really important to me. But you have to discern in relationship to your personality type and how you see. So I can't do what you do. It's not mine to do. Right. So you know that the question of my life every morning is, what's mine to do? But it's what's mine to do as an Enneagram 2, and I can't do it like any other personality type does. Yeah. So for the sake of this conversation, and I should have done this at the beginning, um, we're going to put up this slide, yeah, so that if you're not quite familiar with the numbers and their kind of titles, this isn't you know, exhaustive in its description, but at least kind of gives you a guide. So that's just for your reference, but the conversation here today, this morning, is a little bit more important. Uh, I want to talk about that for a minute. Yeah, please. Uh, so good to be old. Um, so y'all look at that. Now, that's an Enneagram. That means it has nine points. It's not a pentagram. And that seems to be confusing for some people in the South. Yeah, the Wikipedia search yeah, of Enneagram yeah. can pull up some interesting results. Yes, it does. So don't, yeah. don't, don't do that. But, but what I'll tell you this right off the bat, every interview I do, like I have a new book coming out, so I'm doing them constantly now. And a question from all, every evangelical group, every one of them, the question is, what's dangerous about the Enneagram? Oh, yeah. No, I would have never thought to ask that question. Well, I'm going to tell you what's dangerous about it. Please. Because it took me a while to figure it out, but it's important. It's really dangerous if you take the Enneagram to be more than it is. It's just one spiritual wisdom tool, and actually by itself, it's not all that great. But if you put it in the context of a worshiping community and your prayer life, and your life reading, and your life studying, and your life at work trying to be a better person, and your relationship with God, then it's very helpful. Yeah. But you got to do the other stuff too. You got to give and pray and mm -hmm. learn and study. And Joseph's always leave out silence and submission. So, submission. <laughs> so I'm just saying, it's, don't start labeling people. Mm -hmm. Don't do it. You'll be wrong most of the time, for starters. So just don't do it. This is for you to know about you and then let other people tell you who they are. Yeah. You don't tell them who they are. Can, can I ask you, I'm not sure that I've heard you in an, like an interview kind of answer this. You've talked to me a little bit about it. Nine ways of seeing the world. Right. Nine ways of experiencing and that kind of informs your motivations in life. Right. And kind of a key distinction about Enneagram, at least from my observation, is we often focus on the behaviors of the Enneagram That's right. to type someone and it's really about the motivations, right. which only they can kind of answer. Yeah. Where, where, where do we get our type? So I'm an Enneagram 3. Yep. I didn't choose it. Nope. Where did it come from? Like, I mean, in terms of like, how come I'm an Enneagram 3 and not a 7 or an 8 or a yep. 4? Yep. You ready for my answer? Yeah, I think. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, really? Okay. It's not I don't like, know. I'm, I, I think we are born genetically predisposed to be a certain number and that that is informed by nurture, nature okay. informed by nurture. But my people don't let me say that anymore oh. because they get a thousand emails about yeah, sure. people telling them, me, that I'm, that can't be right and it eliminates God and blah, 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 blah. I mean, I always just kind of assumed that it was based on who I needed to be at a young age to kind of thrive, survive in my home environment. All right. Without so, any criticism of home environment, sure. knowing that I might have a parent in the audience. You morning. might. Right. I understand. Yeah. So let me say this to your parents, if they are here, happen to be. Uh -huh. They did a fine job with well, you. That's not that thing. <laughs> I didn't set you up for that. Oh. You never know what you're setting me uh, up no, for. No, I was like, this might be a therapy. I might end up crying in front did of everybody. Did you tell them? 
Did you tell them that my normal teaching time is eight hours? Uh, I, you know what? I didn't mention that. Yeah, it's yeah. tricky. Did you bring lunch? We have lunch? coffee in the back. Yeah. All right, so here's the deal. Uh, let's say we were born predisposed to be a three mm-hmm. and a two, mm-hmm. genetically. Yeah. And we were adopted at birth. So, you know, my birth mother didn't want me, and my dad delivered me. Mm-hmm. And literally, my parents decided to adopt me in 48 hours. Not planned, nothing. So, can you imagine what I was like as a newborn? I mean, I must have been really something for my dad to say, let's just take her home. Right? So, here's my response as a two. To try to love well and meet other people's needs. Yeah. And to live my life asking the question, am I wanted? Mm-hmm. But your response as a three yeah. would have been to try to be successful, living into what your family defined as success. Sure. And then beyond that, I still want to be wanted, you still want to be successful. Yeah. So what we have to do is redefine what yeah. being wanted means and what being successful means, yeah. right? right? And the more we protect ourselves with our personalities. You can't grow up without one. Right. Right? Right. But it's like if you break your arm and you put on a cast, if you never take the cast off, then you can't ever use the arm. Sure. And we can't get through childhood without this personality that we have. Right. But we have to allow parts of it to fall away as we get older. But if you try to make the parts of your personality go away, then that just makes your personality bigger. So that's not helpful. You have to allow it to fall away. Yeah. And we don't do well in America with allowing. Sure. sure. Like, we don't know about that. I started listening for it in the culture, and the only time I ever hear it is people being told they're not allowed to do something. You're not allowed to bring coffee in here. You're not allowed to act like a child, even if you're a child. You're not allowed, right? Yeah. So. We allow a lot here. So maybe we can try to get that a little more right. Then. Yeah, well, as soon as you're allowing personality to fall away, call me. Yeah, I don't, yeah. you're doing a pretty good job. Well. I've been watching you for almost six years. <laughs> you're doing a pretty good job. Well, thank you. Um, I've heard you, I think it is in a book or maybe an interview, you talked about how, you know, nine ways to see the world. We can't change how we see. That's right. But we can change what we do with how we see. What we do with how we see. Right. For application for us, what, is that, what does that kind of mean in a kind of a day-to-day basis? Okay, how long do I have? As long as you need. Don't say that to me. Okay. You represent other people. They may leave, but you can yeah, keep I just going. Keep, we can There's just keep batteries talking. in these mics. So All we... right. If you're an Enneagram 1, you will see everything that's wrong. You have to learn how to deal with that. When you clean up behind everybody, they don't like you. If you're an Enneagram 2, the way you see is you feel other people's feelings and you know intuitively what they need. Everybody is not yours to take care of. So you have to figure out what's yours to do with... You you can't change seeing who needs your help. You have to change what you do with that information. If you're a three, living in a three city, in a three country, as a spinoff in a three church, in a three sub-city, in a three country... It's like, it's on like a three inception. college campus, yeah. dream within a dream right? Within a dream. Yeah. If you're in all of that, then how do you find your way through that sure. to find out what success is for you and what you're supposed to work toward? Want me to move on to fours? No, if you possible. actually have an answer for that, that would yeah. be great. Save me a couple decades. You, you know, if you take me to coffee, I'll give you the answer. Um, no. Fours. Fours are are uh, always aware of what's missing, no matter what. They know what's missing. So once you see what's missing, you have to be able to look for what's there. What you focus on determines what you miss. So when you see what's missing, you have to focus on what is there. So you'll always know what's missing, but you have to do something about what's there. For fives, uh, what's usually missing for fives is um, people who take life as intellectually seriously as they do because they trust facts and they struggle with affection. You know, fives like literally back up from me because they know I'm probably going to touch them. So they just go, hi, it's nice to meet you. Please don't hug me. Right. 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 Um, They love the meet and greet time, right? That's right. Love it. Those are the people who didn't want to have the first one, much less the second (laughs) one. So uh, based on how they see, 
Fives are mindful, very mindful of what costs them energy because they wake up every morning with a certain amount of energy. It's like manna. You only get enough for the day. And every encounter they have, every single one costs them energy. So they don't want to shake hands twice because that means they have less energy at the end of the day. Right? I'm not saying you did a bad thing. It just gave me a good thing to work with. It's all good. Making room for everybody to come in and find a seat. All good. So you, all good. You don't have to look down when I talk about it the next time. (laughs) So, so when you're taking from a five, what they don't know how to say, I don't want to give that to you, but I want to be here with you, means that they have to learn to tell you who they are. So masks and not touching has been a great time for them. (laughs) Being at home so they're not losing energy has worked for them, and now they got to come back, right? Sixes. Sixes are the most concerned about the common good, but at the same time, they're the number that struggles with anxiety. And so the way sixes see is how can we all be in this together, but their concern is carefully. How can we all be in this together before COVID, carefully? And so they have to learn that they're not in charge of the carefully part. They're just in charge of themselves. Sevens. Uh, Sevens are... um, the people that we love to have around because they're funny and entertaining and the way they see is in terms of possibility. So if if I'm a mountain climber and I've climbed this peak, then I can climb this one, and then I can climb this one. And then they begin to put their understanding for potential on you. So you can climb a mountain too. Well, actually, I, I don't want to. But yeah, but you can, and you'll love it, right? Yeah. So Joe and I were teaching in California, and this young guy who, Joe was his spiritual director for a while, and he loved Joe. And he said, uh, I want to take you all to my favorite sushi place. And this kid took off from work and rented a car to take us, like he had done all the stuff. He said, do you all like sushi? And Joe said, well, no, we, we really don't. He said, well, that's because you've never had good sushi. <laughs> that's right. So he takes us to this place in San Francisco for, you know, where, I don't know, 25 people can sit. And the guy, he says to the guy with the knives and stuff, Uh he says, just give us whatever the best is today. Man, I was out early, but Joe was in trying to eat what he now refers to as dead raw fish. Yeah. Right? But our friend kept saying, oh, try this one. Oh, and this one's even better. And this (laughs) one's even better because he's a seven on the Enneagram. Sure. Right? And so he has to learn that when people are, like, kind of green, that they don't need more sushi. Yeah, sure. Right? Uh-huh. Eights. Uh, see, they're, the, they're probably the strongest number on the Enneagram. They're good leaders when they join the groups that they want to lead, not good leaders when they don't. And um, they want the very best for you, and they believe they know what that is. And so they're great cheerleaders if you're lined up. And if you're not, then they are kind of pushy. That's the best part and the worst part, right? And nines are um, seemingly so great. Like I'm married to one, and I literally adore him. I can't. I wake up in the middle of the night after all these years and wake him up to tell him I love him. (laughs) He loves that. (laughs) So... um, But the reason nines are are perceived by the rest of us to be so great is because they avoid conflict at all costs. And based on what they see, they have the potential for conflict there and there and here and over there and over there. And so they've learned to merge with other people. They merge their thinking or their desires or their thoughts so that there's not conflict. Except the problem is when you avoid conflict, it often causes conflict, right? So that's a, a brief overview of a little bit that might make you want to know more. Yeah. Um, I'm a better human being because I know the Enneagram. And I'm a better human being because other people have taught me about what it's like to see the world they do. And... Um, I have many fewer regrets in terms of relationships because I know it. Yeah. 
it, one of the things that I have come to appreciate most about the Enneagram as a tool um, in kind of comparison to some of the other personality type tools is it does give you something to do with it. Yep. Um, so knowing your Myers-Briggs type or, you know, your DISC yep. profile helps you know who you are and helps yep. you understand the way other people are different. But does, just, I haven't discovered a lot of ways that you can then do something with that other right. than just knowledge. So let me say one thing about that. Yeah, please. So, you know, I work with hospital chaplains a Mm -hmm. lot. So, you know, when you're in the hospital, think about this. What I just told you about fives and how they are very private and they don't have a lot of energy for you and they don't like to be touched. So they have nurses and doctors and PAs coming in and touching them and dealing with them and giving them information. And you can't give a five enough information, so they're not getting enough of that. And then a chaplain comes in. So what do they want from a chaplain? Not more touching, right? So when Joe goes in, if he can read the room, and he has heard me teach so much, he pretty much can. If it's a five, when he prays, he asks if, he, if they will allow him to hold their hand mm-hmm. or give them a blessing yeah. instead of just doing that. Yeah. And then they get to say no or yes, yeah. right? And then... He tells them what he's going to do before he does it as a clergy person and a chaplain because they handle everything in their heads, right? But if he goes in and he can figure by looking at the room and the nightstand that the person is a one and everything is perfectly ordered and all that, well, then he doesn't just touch stuff. He doesn't say, can I move this over? He knows not to touch anything. By the way, I'm sure Stephen's going to talk about this. You want to know your number? Here's a good way to get it. The, the woman who wrote this book, charming. <laughs> this one's better because this is about how you know about other people and how they want you to communicate with them and how they hear you and what they can't hear. And so I don't know what you were going to say, but I, you feel free to add on to that. Yeah, no, well, see, I love these two books. They, they happen to, to be written by a friend of mine. And what I love... I heard she's pretty... You should see her walk. She's got this cool little walk. <laughs> Going up the stairs. Uh-huh. Oh, baby. Well, you should <laughs> There's see. There's words that I can't use to describe it. Well, but. let me tell you what you don't know. You've never seen Joe Stabile and I dance together. You know what? I haven't. We are really. Well, let you come back. It's something. Yeah. We're good. Yeah. So what I love about this book is it helps you identify kind of who you are and your type. But what I love about the second book even more is it talks about your relationships with others. Yeah. And I think that's oftentimes... With a new tool, we learn just a little bit, and then we try to go and apply it places. And I think that's, for me, why I'm so grateful that you wrote this second book as, um, to, as a continuation of the first one. Because just knowing about yourself isn't enough. It's really, okay, who am I? Who are other people? And now how do, we, how do I translate kind of well, based on what they need? Or And even if you have the desire but you don't know how, yeah, like you have the desire to relate to everybody in, in here and beyond, the way they want to be related to. Mm-hmm. You and Allie are working at that. That's what you want to do. And you know enough about the Enneagram to know that there's a way. You don't just get to be you, right? Sure. And, but what if you don't know what the way is? Then all of, the, all of the desire that you have to be better in relationships is lost because you don't know who other people are and why relationships don't work. And you know a lot of people have been home enough that, you know, family will tolerate all your quirky little stuff. Yeah. But when you get back out in the world now, you don't have the freedom necessarily to behave in a way that assumes that it doesn't affect other people. Yeah, yeah. And everything affects other people. Yeah. Right? That's been the biggest, I think, one of the biggest gifts of this tool for me is just learning that other people don't view the world the way I do. Exactly. Uh, and and Ash, can't. And Allie's really been helpful in this. She's in times my greatest teacher because uh, I, sometimes it's really frustrating that she doesn't understand and see things the way that I understand and see things. Uh, but she's really... I'm sure that's mutual. Yeah, sure. And so it's been a really helpful tool for our relationship and working together because uh, I'm constantly reminded that not everybody's like me and shares my same motivations, values, uh, and I think that just in general, we miss that in the world. And so we're, at least my assumption is that most of us are kind of frustrated with the way that other people approach things mm-hmm. and do things because it's not the way that we do most of the time. One of the churches we served um, years ago at funerals, they had a, a pass-by at every funeral. Oh, yeah. And the 
we were about this high, maybe a little higher at that church. And then the, the casket was always right here, right? And then the pass-by always came from this side and around and back. And I was often asked to do some, you know, read a reading or something at a funeral in that community. So I uh, watched people do a pass-by. Yeah. You'd be shocked at how many people aren't sad. Oh. Yeah, like the expressions on people when 200 people do a pass-by, it's, wow. Well, ooh. Oh. So I made up my mind <laughs> at one of those pass-bys that when Joe Stabile passed by my casket, I wanted him to be devastated. <laughs> because that would mean what? That he loved me. Yeah. So, and wanted me. Yeah. Right? Which he tells me a hundred times a day, but it's not enough. Sure. So I decided that the thing that, what, that I was going to commit to, because Joe merges all the time to avoid conflict, I decided I was never going to pick where we went to dinner again. Not doing it. Like, you are not going to merge with me. You're going to live with me saying what you want and what you need. Because when I'm in the casket and you're there, I don't want the thought to be, now I can go to dinner wherever I want to. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, and, and by the way, I found out that I was so selfish, it really wasn't that easy. So I, start, I made up my mind, not picking a place anymore. And Joe would pick barbecue, breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. Yeah. Not my choice. Uh -huh. So I'm getting into this new pattern of saying, I'm, I'm not going to say, where do you want to go? So he taught me as a nine that if I gave him three choices or four, that's easier for him yeah. than where would you like to eat in Dallas. Yeah. Much too confusing. So I would give him four choices. Barbecue was always in it because I'm compassionate. And he always picked barbecue. <laughs> so early on in this practice, when I gave him barbecue as a choice and he would pick barbecue, I'd wait till we'd driven a few more miles and I'd say, you know, we, we just had that Tuesday. Are you kind of hungry for seafood? <laughs> so he would merge with me and we'd go eat seafood. Right. But then I was miserable. I ruined it for both of us. <laughs> so now what do you do? I don't always put barbecue in the choices. Okay. Good. I'm you go not to a food foolish. Court and everybody can get their own. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're That's, kind of beyond food court. Know, you know, there's just, an age for that. A good yeah. So I'm just saying, you know, you make up your mind, you're going to give another person their way of seeing. Uh -huh. I guarantee you, you're going to take a few pieces back. It's yeah. like, oh, this is way harder than I thought. Sure. Right? Yeah. So, you know, as a two, I don't know what I feel. I know other people's feelings, but the hardest question anybody ever asks me is, what do you want? And what do you feel? Mm. So Joe's Italian, you know, and I'm adopted. And so I decided I might as well be Italian. <laughs> I don't know what I am, but I like him a lot, so I'll just be Italian. And he said that I cook like an Italian. Oh. And, yeah, and I fight like an Italian. And he said one other thing, I do like Italian. So I thought, all right, then I'm Italian. So then we're having this huge fight. How you doing? Oh, great. This might be my last time here, so y'all. <laughs> they might ask me to leave and for you to come back and keep this up. <laughs> Let me introduce you to the new pastor. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not great with scripture. Like, I, I don't ever get invited to preach on Lady Sunday. No, I do this, but not that. Well, good so, news, we don't have one of those here. Yeah, okay. Every uh, Sunday. Uh, every Sunday. So anyway, would you stop? I'm trying to tell you a story. Yes, ma'am. So um, we had an Italian fight. It was a good one, oh. man. Mm. I was yelling, angry. <laughs> and he said, right in the middle of my little tirade, congratulations, baby. I said, for what? He said, I think these are your feelings. <laughs> you say you don't know what you feel? I think you know about these. <laughs> so, all to say, uh, there's potential for an awful lot of humor in all of this. Yeah. And there's grace for mm -hmm. you to get it wrong just because you're trying. Yeah. So, you know, we kind of find ourselves in a place right now where we need to learn a new language around many things. Mm -hmm. We need to be much more um, aware of other ways of knowing God or the Holy One. We need to be respectful of ways that are not our ways. Um. There are a lot of questions we have as a denomination about the LGBTQIA community. And there's a lot of compassionate language to learn in order to be appropriately addressing people. Mm 
mm. which is not easy. Mm. And I think if you know this, not the book, but this, and if you're willing to work with it, then everybody extends more grace to you if you get it wrong. Because people understand that the way you see makes some things a harder journey for you than for other people. And I, um, frankly, uh, I didn't travel for nine months, and I traveled to teach. And I missed it a lot, and I missed people a lot. But traveling to teach is much less exhausting to me than picking up the feelings of everybody during COVID. Sure. Because I don't know how to carry them. And so what, I think what church offers all of us, you know, that come as you are thing, which is different than just as I am, by the way. I think the come as you are thing uh, has to include come as you are and as you see. And I understand that the people behind me and in front of me and sitting next to me maybe don't see the way I do. And so I think the one thing that we really the the greatest gift that we have to offer one another after compassion is curiosity and we make statements rather than asking questions and we tell people what we think instead of asking what they think and I think working with the Enneagram is suitable to uh, increasing our desire to be curious yeah and I think that's right um, one of the things that you said at the beginning was kind of the best part of you is also the worst part of you, which yeah. I know can sometimes feel a little uh, jolting or hard to hear. Yeah. It takes a little bit of unpacking, but will you kind of talk us um, through a little bit of kind of the stages of health within your number? It's not just this fixed number That's right. like a Myers-Briggs type, yeah, yeah. not to pick on Myers-Briggs, but yeah. it's just an example. Well, there's, the one there's, everybody there's knows. some fluidity to it from, you know, health and average and unhealth. And yeah, will sure. you explain that for us? So there's a lot of movement in the Enneagram. If you look at that, then you see that every number is connected by, to another number by some lines, the lines on either side and then the lines that usually cut across the Enneagram. And that's because within Enneagram wisdom, there is a number, you, you are always your number, always. It doesn't change. You can't change it if you want to, so don't try. And if you try to pick a number that isn't yours, the people around you will say, yeah, no, no. Like when I'm teaching and I'll say, all right, how many of you think you're that number? And people who are with people who know them, if they don't raise their hand, the people next to them go. (laughs) So uh, all to say that the Enneagram is dynamic stability. You're always your number. But based on the lines that you see there, you have access to behavior patterns from another number when you're stressed and from yet another number when you're feeling really secure. So an example of that would be when I'm stressed, I'm a two, so the, you go, I go to eight. There are no arrows on this, but the ones with arrows will show you where you go in stress and where you go in security. So two goes to eight in stress, which means... I go from, oh, honey, I put your cheerleading clothes on your bed, and guys, I put all of your athletic stuff on the dryer. It's ready for you to go. That's two. Eight is, all of you are in high school. Do your own laundry. And then the children go upstairs and say, don't ask her today. Yeah. It's quite a switch from two to eight. Sure. Not nearly as charming, I don't think. (laughs) So, but in four, I, and when I'm, in, when I'm secure, I take on some four energy. So for me to write a book, I have to have the creativity that I get from four energy. Here's why. Twos are always focused outside of themselves. Fours are always focused inside. For me to write a book, I have to focus inside based on, because everything I have inside is what I've learned from my focus being outside. That's one tiny example. Now you add to that movement, that at any given time, you're either healthy in your number, or average, or unhealthy, or in excess in your number, 
are pathological. So when I work with therapists, I, we deal with the Enneagram and pathology. I don't ever talk about it even unless there's a therapist right there because I'm not a therapist. I could get in way trouble yeah, me too. and get other people in trouble. Sometimes I'm in excess in my number, and, and but that's because giving to other people energizes me. It also exhausts me, but it energizes me. So when I'm really tired and I need to just go home and rest, I give to other people to get energy, which causes me to be tireder, right? I would say after all these years, I've been working with the Enneagram for 30 years. I, Richard Rohr told me to study it for five years before I talked about it. Surely you know me well enough to know by now what a feat that was. <laughs> but I did it. I didn't talk about it for five years. So in my 30 years, you know, I've done all this work, and I'm in healthy space maybe an hour or an hour and a half a week spread over seven days. So don't get too excited about this being your goal. <laughs> the high side of average is good. Like, it's, it, it's got to be good enough because that's where most of us spend most of our time. All of us spend time in unhealthy space. And it's recognizable by the people who love you. And once you know this, the people who love you know how to talk to you about it in a way that doesn't offend you further and cause a fight, which Joe Stabile doesn't like, fighting. Being a three, that's really hard to hear that you, after all this time, only spend about an hour yeah. or so a week in the, in the goal, in the healthy space. I pray that you will be as successful as I am. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Uh, I do some work in the, a lot of work in the recovery community. And four or five treatment centers are now working with my theory that if you're in recovery and you know the Enneagram and your sponsor knows the Enneagram, uh, relapse is predictable when you're in excess in your number. Mm. So you can see it coming with people who know what to look for. But you wouldn't know. It's not the same list for the two of us or for me and you and you and you and you. So there's not a one-size-fits-all. Mm -hmm. And why would we think there would be? You know, it didn't have to be numbers. It could have been trees or flowers or any other thing. And God created everything in very manifold in different ways. Why would God have not created us the same way? So our advisory board for life in the Trinity Ministries has one of every number. Yeah. That way I get feedback from everybody. Our yeah. board of directors has aggressive numbers. Get stuff done. Threes, sevens, and eights. Yeah. Yep. Makes sense. I know you and I previously have talked about yep. how to build an org chart yep. around. Yep. Types. Knowing the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not, you're not going to be, you know, I guarantee you the Enneagram will change your marriage. It'll change your relationship with your boss. It'll change how you parent your children. It'll change how you see yourself. And it will greatly enhance your understanding of how much. God loves all of us that we're not the same. We have uh, just a little bit of time left. And so just knowing kind of this conversation, for people who are brand new to this idea and yeah. this tool, what are some immediate maybe steps that they could take to learn a little bit more? I know you feel you have some opinions about the tests. I do. Uh huh. So let me, let's define opinions first. Richard sure. Rohr defines opinions as underdeveloped thinking. Okay. So I have some knowledge about the Yeah, tests. tell me, would you share some wisdom about yeah, these, these Enneagram tests? Uh, I spent uh, two weekends ago, Russ Hudson and I talked together for three days. Uh, he's the last of the old guard. He and Richard Rohr are the last of the old guard who are teaching the Enneagram. The ones who went before them are no more. And uh, Russ and his former partner in the Enneagram Institute who died two and a half years ago, Don Rizzo and Russ Hudson, um, have the best indicator that's available. It's 140 questions. You have to pay for it online. Don't. Don't. Because this is better. And I tell him that, him, Russ Hudson, not him, Stephen. And it's better because it takes questions on any indicator determine are, are answered based on your behavior and your Enneagram number is determined by motivation 
and you can't get enough questions about motivation on an indicator representing nine different numbers to have it be not a book. Yeah, I, right? I, I've taken this, a couple, and it's, I'm, it's like I answer aspirationally. Like, sure, because I don't. I want to be that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can like. It's so much easier to lie to yourself. Yeah. Than this is. Yeah. So these are really selling well. I don't have to show them to you to sell them. I'm trying to be helpful, and that's the truth. No, and, and I and I know that about you, and I appreciate that. For people who have a little bit more familiarity, maybe they've read one or both of your books. Yep. Next steps from there. The journey toward wholeness is released on November second. I set you up for that, didn't I? You did. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> so let me tell you, um, if you do, if you if you do the work, so that you know your type, and you've come to some acceptance of that, and then you have done enough work to know how to treat other people in the way that will be most effective, and in the way that they want to be treated, uh, then there's enough work invested to begin to work on how you really might be the person that you're created to be in the fullness of being the top of average and healthy. How you might treat people who work with you better and therefore find out that their work is much more effective because they feel seen and known. Raising children who are not your personality type and who don't really have the same dreams you had as an 8-year-old or an 11-year-old or a 14-year-old. And then it's time for you to work on who you can be and who you are in relationship to God. So as fast as I can say it, uh, the Enneagram is based around the work of many, many, many who went before Maurice Nicole, but the modern Enneagram is based on some work from a guy named <coughs> Gurdjieff uh, and a man in England whose name was Maurice Nicole, and he said, there are really three centers of intelligence, thinking, feeling, and doing. And all of us respond first with either what do I think, what do I feel, or what am I going to do. And then after that, the other two things come into play. So my first response to everything is what do I feel because I'm a two. Twos, threes, and fours, it's what do I feel. Five, sixes, and sevens, your first response is what do I think. Eights, nines, and ones, your first response is what am I going to do. That then becomes dominant behavior for you. But the reality is that we all need to respond with appropriate thinking, appropriate feeling, and appropriate doing, each for their intended purpose. And that achieves balance, ultimately. So working off of Maurice Nicole, uh, Hurley and Dobson wrote a book about the Enneagram and discovering your potential as a person of faith, not just your potential for sure. the stock market or whatever. And um, they started talking about stances. So your triad, which is two, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, one, think doing. Feeling, two, three, four. I just told you that already. You don't need to hear that again. The second thing is, though, we don't in Enneagram work try to push down one to achieve balance. We try to bring up what's repressed. So uh, this came as a big shock to me. I hope it will be shocking to you. But as it turns out, as a two, I'm thinking repressed, which is really kind of embarrassing. You're feeling repressed. That's worse. Mine's real complicated. Yeah, it is real complicated. So uh, here's, here's how I'm thinking repressed. I, I spend 90 plus percent of my thinking, thinking about relationships. And there are other things that really need a little attention, you know, like all kinds of things. But I'm so relational, that's what I think about, right? Feelings for you. Uh, are messy. Mm -hmm. So you learn to set them aside, not not have them, just put them over there to deal with later. But later doesn't come because there's always the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. 
So you, you have to learn to feel feelings in real time, and I have to learn to think. So here's what that looks like for me. Uh, somebody asked me to do something. My answer is yes, except that's not always the right answer. I have to think about what I already have to do, what it's going to cost my marriage, my family, my other commitments, et cetera, and then respond. So I'm, not, I'm still not good at that. So I don't carry my calendar. I don't answer phone calls if they're from somebody I don't know. I let them go to voicemail because that gives me time to think instead of saying, I'd love to. Of course, I'd love to do that, right? So those of you who are frowning at me are not twos on the Enneagram. Like, I get that some of you know how to say no. Good for you. But people don't love you as much as they love me. (laughs) 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 So um, for you, if somebody, as you're greeting people today, tells you something that is very heavy, you generally don't feel equipped to deal with that in the moment and deal with everybody else. So you say, I'll call you at four. And then you put the feelings that you had over there. You still call it four, but the immediacy of the need has been diminished a little because mm-hmm. you put it over there, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's how you see. You can't stop putting it over there, but you can spend enough time here to know that you have to go get it, Yeah. right? Yeah. That's just an example. I don't know what the question was anymore. That's okay. So I don't know if I answered well, it. Well, uh, you did. Good. And here's, here's my commitment to you, Suzanne, and then to everyone is we'll find a way to bring you back. Okay, I'd love yeah, to come great back. Great space. We'd love to have yeah, you. Good. Thank you so much for being with us today. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Now, going downstairs is the same as coming up. Yeah. Can so we either get you some, need to like, share your feelings music or... or you can share your feelings with them. Here, I'll pray. And then, yeah, tell them, bow their heads. That's right. With every head bowed and every eye closed in the room this morning. Oh, that was not our, we don't, do you do it that way? No, I was just for you. Oh, thank God. No. Everyone under the sound of my voice. No, I'm just teasing. But I will pray for us. And then uh, we'll invite the band to sing one last song. I know we're going a little bit over, but uh, this is rare for us, so I know you can handle it. So let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for today. Thank you for this chance just to come and to learn, to be reminded of the ways that you have created us uniquely, and also the ways that you have created everyone else in their own uniqueness. So God, we thank you for Suzanne, for her leadership, her wisdom, and for the way that she, with humor and uh, a lot of humanity, comes and teaches us. So we thank you for, for her ministry and for what she shared with us today. Help us to, as we go from this place, to take it, to put it into practice, to learn more about ourselves, about others, and about the way that we can love each other better. We pray this in your name. Amen.